I looked across this congregation as, as I was watching you and though there were some that were standing, some that were sitting, but your faces were, it was like you were remembering. You remembered when. You remembered when and you were just saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not there anymore and I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And like I have told you so many times, I was raised in this. I never knew anything but, but Jesus. I never had a day in my life when Jesus wasn't the supreme central figure of my life. But yet, some of you have walked in places I've never walked in. I thank God for your testimony, but I thank God for my testimony as well because he kept me, he kept me. And even where I was, I still won't go back. I'm still going to go forward in Jesus. I'm not going back. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Randy, you're here today. Can I tell what, what, what you found out Wednesday? All right. I didn't get a chance to get around. He went Wednesday. You know, we prayed for him down here. All the men gathered around. Randy had a tumor in his, in his liver. Well, he went Wednesday, and the tumor is gone. So. Sister Denise, Sister Diane told about it last Wednesday night. Their grandbaby was on oxygen and all the stuff that was going on. We did a prayer cloth last Wednesday night. They took it Thursday morning. By Thursday at noon, they'd moved the baby out of ICU into a room. And by Friday morning, the baby was home. And I give God thanks for that. God thanks for that as well. Amen. I don't know. I don't know what what you've come to to do, but I've come to praise Him today. He calls what I'm fixing to. Yeah. He calls what I'm fixing to do the foolishness of preaching. But if you've got something in your life that you need, let me tell you something. He's a, he's a God that can do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can hope for or imagine. He can heal any manner of disease. He can fix any kind of situation. Whatever you, just praise him to it. Just, I said praise him to it or through it to it, however you want to say that. But just praise him. Just let him know that he is the only one. I, I have learned that whenever my back is against the wall 
and I tell him, you're the only one that's going to make a difference in this situation, that's when he makes a difference. That's when he makes a difference. Today I'm staying with the theme that seems to have captivated our church, and, uh, and that's revival, real revival. It seems like we're, we're in the middle of all of that, and or no, I shouldn't say in the middle of it because that sounds like we're on the decline, but no, we're, we're, just, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Turn 180, and our youth and our church, we, we, have, we have turned a corner. My thought for today is simply this. What does revival look like? And I know that around this room, if I started asking for opinions, you would, you would, uh, you would have a bunch of them. Tur- turn 180 and hyphen. Let me talk to you for just a moment. Really, what does revival look like? It looks like hunger and thirst. I will prove my point by the time I finish today. It looks like real hunger and thirst after God hunger and thirst for God to do something like only God can do (laughs) such as tumors disappearing it starts with hunger and thirst for change that's where it starts then it moves to hunger and thirst for God I mean if you stop and you look at what's going on in our nation right now it was a hunger and thirst for change that began to grip young people and there's, see, there's a God-sized hole in every heart in this room. And whether you know his name or whether you don't know his name, whether you have ever been to church or you haven't been to church, and I'm talking about those that are not in this room right now, there is still something in you that reaches upward. So the second thing that happens is hunger. We, we, we begin to hunger and thirst after God. Thirdly, it becomes a passionate hunger and thirst for the supernatural. That's the next thing that happens is we, 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 we get tired of status quo. We get tired of, of, of saying God can do anything and never seeing him do anything. In other words, we, we shout around, God forbid us. God forbid us to shout around Randy's tumor being gone for the next six months. Somewhere around next week, we ought to have another tumor, or maybe today, another tumor that disappears out of so our, our sugar diabetes healed today, or heart trouble, or, I mean, that's, whenever, whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus went, went wherever he was going, what happened? Miracles. When he got ready to, to teach, what did he do? He performed miracles. Once you've performed a few miracles, anybody will listen to you. And that's where I think we are. And then, of course, as I just said, the last thing is a real hunger and thirst for God to do something that only, like only God can do. I will prophesy this. There's something about to happen in the United States that even the news media is going to say only God. There's no other way for this to have happened other than God. 
Now, I don't know if it's going to come in a week. I don't know if it's going to come in, in a month. I'm just prophesying it's about to happen. And when it happens, you can say, well, we were told. Hyphen and, and turn 180. In the early years of my life, I heard prophets such as T.W. Barnes and elders like T.F. Tenney make statements about end-time revival will come through our youth. I totally concur with that. Here's the thing is, I am now, a, I am now the senior generation. And I am no longer that generation that revival was prophesied would come through. Turn 180, hyphen, you're that generation. You will change the world. Did you hear what I said? You will change the world. Many thought the Jesus movement of the late 60s and the early 70s was the end time revival. My personal opinion is those that made that proclamation were not wrong. The Jesus movement of the 60s and the 70s, which that's where I grew up, was just the beginning. It was the beginning. We're wrapping this thing up. The moment it was obvious that something supernatural was here, something that had been prophesied about since the turn of the 20th century, all hell began to break loose. That's what happens when revival comes. Revival gets messy, y'all. If you think, you think we're going to get into revival and it's, it's going to be just, just clear sailing and we're just going to rejoice because people are getting the Holy Ghost and miracles... No, you're gonna, we, we're going we're gonna to have some devils that's going to talk back. Well, let me tell you something. You're covered by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> you ain't got to be afraid of that stuff. Revival gets messy. Revival has a tendency to get messy, but, but you know what? If you go back to Pentecost, it got messy. It really did. It's what happens when revival comes. Listen to me. This is a very important point. And if you, if, you, if you don't catch anything else I say today, I want you to hear this one line. In the end time revival, hell will lose much of its potential population. But, I know we've always said in the end time revival, there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We, woo! we thank God for that. But I like to look at that flip side. There's a bunch of people that's, that's hell bound, going 100 mile an hour, hell bound, that all of a sudden the brakes are going to come on. And they're going to be, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, their lives are going to be turned around. Now, as the Jesus movement began to crank up, hell had another plan. The devil and his kingdom began its assault on America and the world with widespread social and political unrest. And I stopped right there yesterday morning and I eliminated four and a half pages of my notes of the social, political, 
unrest that is going on in the United States and how it has started in the 60s and the 70s and the things that took place in the 70s and the 80s and to where we are now. Well, I'm not going to go through all of that this morning because you, you walk, most of you walk some of that. So let me just go ahead and let's, let's go to the heart of this message. What began at Azusa and again in the Jesus, Jesus movement of the 60s is now coming to a close in the end time. What we are seeing at this time is the infant steps to Acts 2.17 where it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's you, turn 180, hyphen, you will prophesy. Your younger men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And to confirm my message, Dylan sent me a text this morning and he prophesied about what he felt like was, was taking place. And I totally concur with him. So the prophesying has already began and it's already beginning in our church. Let me tell you something else. I don't know where my two babies were, went. It was right here on this front row. I don't know if y'all saw that. <laughs> John, I, you had your eyes closed most of the time while you were singing, but you're singing, I won't go back, and them two babies, and their hands up, and I'm thinking, hey, have no idea. They have no idea what's behind them out there in that congregation. There's drug addicts out there, and there's ex-drug addicts and ex-alcoholics. There's ex-devil worshipers, and there's ex-this and ex-that. But the blood of Jesus, but the blood of Jesus. You know... a sacrifice that went up before the Lord that between them and what hell has prepared against them becomes a shield that they never know they never know get ready get ready revival is here to stay Revival is here to stay. The atmosphere we feel in this room right now is different. You've got to realize that. It's different in here right now. And you say, well, it's not so different to me. Well, then you need to check your salvation. Okay? And I don't mean that in a crude way. But you need to check yourself because there's something different in this place.
Okay. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into my message, and y'all won't let me. So, so since we're in the end, end time revival, what does revival really look like? To know the answer to that question, let's go back to the first revival. The first century church. That's the revival I'm talking about. And glean from them as what revival looks like and how to fuel it. So how do we do that? Let's go to the first chapter of the book of Acts. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, having seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days since. Hence, Luke's gospel, and of course Luke wrote the book of Acts as well. But in Luke's gospel, he says it this way. And behold, I send the promise, and this is still Jesus speaking, of my Father upon you. But tarry ye, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus tells them, go and tarry. He didn't tell them what this power would look like. In Luke's gospel, he quoted Jesus as saying, you will be endued with power. In John's gospel, the same thing was called the comforter. They had no idea what the comforter would look like. Was it another man that was going to come to the door and knock? What was it? What was going to happen? Jesus just said, go and wait. That's why I want us to understand something. Revival may not look like what you have already in your mind. Revival may look totally different. So don't be sidetracked whenever you see things happening the way they will happen. Because revival is not ours to give. Revival is his to give. And it will look the way he wants it to look. And it will perform the way he wants it to perform. And what it does will blow mine and your mind. We find out in Acts 2 because he told them. He said, go and, go and tarry. He didn't tell them what. He didn't tell them to plan for anything. History says that there was three to 500 people that went to the upper room. Well, the day of Pentecost came, there was only 120 that was left there. So that means there will always be those that want to see revival. And Randy, you and I have talked about this many times. They want to see revival, but they're not going to invest in revival. And I'm, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about prayer, fasting, seeking the face of God, and just getting down to the nitty-gritty. They, they want to see great jubilant services, but it's going to take more than that. And let me tell you something. There were 10 days that those three to 500 people that gathered in that upper room, they sit there, and I'm sure that after about day number three or four, there was probably about 50 that decided, well, you know, I've got some... Uh, I've got some things I have got to get done around the house. 
there's just some things that need to take place and they moved on about another four or five days and, and all of a sudden well I've got some shopping I've got to get done and you know I was supposed to meet some friends at the restaurant on this, this day and we were going to eat together you know there's just you see here's the deal Jesus told them to go and tarry he wasn't really waiting for Pentecost he was waiting for those that were hungry and thirsty they would be the ones that would remain in the upper room I believe if he would have waited 20 days that 120 he knew when he weeded out all of those that were not hungry so when the ones that were really hungry and thirsty that's when and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord they were waiting for the same thing and suddenly everybody I say suddenly and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting nothing like this has ever happened before let's understand this nothing like oh it's easy for us post Calvary post Pentecost it's easy for us to stand back and say whoa this is wonderful and shout over this but understand these people sitting in that upper room they've never seen anything like this before and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind it filled all the house where they're sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them I'm afraid some of us would call the fire department. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Nobody begged for it. Nobody pled for it. I believe in those 10 days that they sat there, they emptied themselves of everything that may have ever been wrong in their life and they were simply empty vessels waiting to be filled up with the power of God. And somewhere along the line, this church has got to get in that same place. Now this is what happened in the first century church. This is what happened 10 days after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. This is what Jesus had promised would happen. We just didn't know what it was going to look like. This was the power that Jesus spoke and the salvation which the first century church was so hungry for. What I've just read to you is what actually happened. Acts 2 is actually what happened. Ironically enough, in all the chaos, the late 60s, young people got hungry and said there must be a better way. And they began to pray around their bonfires. I'm talking about the 60s, 1960s, 1970s. They began to pray around their bonfires on on the beach. And they began to sing their little Jesus songs. And guess what? Jesus showed up. He wasn't waiting for it to happen in the first church of the frigid air. He wasn't waiting for some classical institution of religiosity to usher him in or give him an open door to do what he wanted no he went to the beaches of california where a group of hippies were sitting there's one of my hippies right there sitting on the beach strumming their little guitar they might not even had six strings on that guitar 
But they were, they were, they wrote the songs as they went. Well, yeah. Brother Bruce, I don't know. You, you, how do you know all that? Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. Jesus is just... Doobie Brothers, isn't it? All right. In other words, what I'm telling you, it made it to mainstream. It, became, it, be, it began to show up in culture that something was happening on the beaches of California and there was something t- supernatural that was beginning to take place. What happened in that first century church is what happened to those young people of the Jesus movement of the 60s and the 70s. So let's move ahead to today. In the midst of all the social, racial, cultural, political unrest, a group of young people got together the other day and said there, were, there has to be a better way. And guess what? What happened in the first century church is what happened at Asbury University and now many of the universities across the nation. It's happened among the young people. I hadn't heard about it breaking out in any senior citizen center or... or It's the young people. Please, young people, hear what I'm saying. You are the church. You are the church. Mom and daddy's not, oh, mom and daddy's the church. In fact, let's don't offend mom and daddy because mom and daddy supports the church. Okay? <laughs> many, of you, many of you hadn't got a job yet. I'm anxious for the day when you do. Then you can support the church. But what I'm, what I'm so excited about is that it's fixing to bubble up inside of you guys. The timidity, you know, all, all that timidness that you have. Oh, what, what will my friends think if I raise my hands? Okay, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus. One, one of these Sundays, this is going to hit you, and you're going to say, I really don't give a flip. And then, and then you'll sing that old song, I'll never be the same again. I'll never be the same again. Since I walked where Jesus walked, I'll never be the same again. Yeah. Acts 2. That's what it was. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appear, y'all are the only ones that's going to understand what's happening. I'm going to be standing back. I'm going to probably be looking for Dylan and Mason to come over here and tell me what, what, what I'm supposed to do next. Because I ain't going to understand. I don't understand your culture. I don't understand what, I don't understand your language. Okay? I, I don't. But, but they do. And they'll say, now this is what's happening. And they'll come and tell me. And from there, I'll know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Revival created a commotion in the first century church, just as it's creating a commotion now. People of the first century church, Acts 2 and 12 says, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Have you been listening to the news? What are they saying? Fox even did a, did a deal on it. 
on what's going on in the universities across America. And they're saying, what meaneth this? Oh, that's not a new phrase. They did that in Acts 2. They did it. They did it then. They'll do it now. But guess what? Everywhere you look, the same question is being asked today. What meaneth this? Now just now, just like then, there's someone standing up and declaring the truth of God's word. They may not use the same exact words as the apostle Peter used, but it does go along the same lines. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that that was spoken up by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. This is what's going on. And there's somebody standing up in every group that's beginning to tell them about Jesus. The Apostle Peter, listen to this. The Apostle Peter, if you read this the way I'm reading this, the Apostle Peter considered the days he lived in as the last days. I mean, that's what was prophesied by Joel, the prophet. Just as we're considering this, the last days the only difference is we are, we are 2,000 years closer to the last days than Peter was. Peter was looking around at the signs of the time just as we are looking today. But he goes on to preach. You men of Israel, hear these words. He's telling them about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. I mean, you saw him just as we saw him which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. And we have seen signs, and we've seen miracles, and we've seen wonders. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Master. Now, just like then, men, women, boys, and girls are coming to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. As I said, there's a Jesus-sized hole in all of our heart. Nothing's going to fill it but Jesus. That's why they're chasing drugs. That's why they're chasing alcohol. Is because they're looking for some, for some peace. They're looking for some happiness. I preached, I preached uh, a funeral the other day of a young man that died from fentanyl. I, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a no-win situation. One of, his, one of his friends, the day after the funeral, went and checked himself into a rehab center. The mom and dad were thrilled. They said if our son had to die, we were so thankful that it's that it saved the life of his, one of his friends. They may have never heard the name Jesus, but that there is something inside of everyone that is resonating with what is happening. And now, just as they did then, they're asking at Asbury and other locations throughout our out the United States, what meaneth this? 
in churches all across America, around the world, where maybe they have never seen anything like this. They're beginning to embrace what is happening. And instead of questioning, they're asking, what meaneth this? The news media is asking, what meaneth this? The mayor of New York, did y'all see this? The other day was speaking at some event, and he made the statement that the reason there was so much crime, murders, and unrest in New York is because we kick God and prayer out of our schools. He did. One of the most liberal cities in the United States. And I must say, he's, he's been a pretty liberal mayor, too. But he went on and made the rest of his speech, and when he closed his comments, he said, Now let us pray. The world is waking up. The world is waking up. Let it never be said that the apostolic Pentecostal church was the last church to wake up to what God is doing in these last days. It's time for all of us to wake up, to get hungry, to get thirsty, to be ready to do whatever it is that God requires of us. The world is asking. Oh, sit down. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Y'all going to miss your lunch date if I don't hurry. People are asking. Non-church going people are asking. And now just as then, in the 21st century, as it was in the 1st century, they're asking, and it sounds something like this. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What am I going to do about my life is what they're saying. How do I, re- how, they don't know these terms, they don't understand it, but this is what they mean. How am I to be reconciled back to God? After all I have done, after all I've been through, I preached the funeral of another man this, this week before last. He lived his, his senior part of his life thinking that God could never forgive him for what he had done. He had, he had had the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name as a child, drifted away from it. His family talked to him. Everybody tried, tried to reach out to him. Tried to, I stood right back there about where Brother Shorty is sitting, and I talked to him one day, and I, started, and I was telling him, look, the whole idea of the prodigal, the, the father never said, go get back in your mother's womb and be born again. All he said was, Bring a robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his hand. In other words, authority and power. Put sandals on his feet. My son that was once dead, he has now come back home. That's why they don't know what they're asking. Look, from the very beginning of the, of, the, of the earth, we have all been known as God's children. We've all been created by Him. But it's been our choices to walk away or to walk toward. It's been up to us as to what we will do. But there is something in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl that is beginning to cry out, there's got to be a better way.
And are we, are we ready to answer that question? Are we that ready to answer as Peter did on that day? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This 38th verse is what is happening at Asbury. And the other universities, yeah, they're talking in tongues. Yeah, they are. They're talking in tongues. And other places. Can I, can, I, can I just side note here? Let me chase a rabbit for a second. Asbury is a Methodist university. The Methodist church is in absolute turmoil right now because there's a portion of it that wants to, wants to license gay and lesbian pastors. I'm sorry, the word of God is against that. No church affiliation, no church board has the right to change anything in this book. No one has the right. So where does God show up? He shows up in the middle of a place that's full of controversy because there's a group of young people that's not part of the discussion. They don't have a voice in it. They're just hungry and says, there's got to be a better way. There's just got to be a better way. And he sees the hunger. And like the sound of a rushing mighty wind in the The 38th verse is what is happening at Asbury and other places of revival as it broken out. This is what happened here last Sunday. We not only saw the fulfillment of the 38th verse in, in Colton, but we saw it as well in as many others that got hungry and just got renewed all over again in the Holy Ghost. Some of you just got it all over again. History is repeating itself. It is the end time revival. Now, a closing question. How do we nurture this move of God that is sweeping our nation and through our church? Hunger and thirst, that's where it begins. But there comes a time and there comes a service. Hyphen, turn 180, I'm talking to you again. I hope your mom and daddy's listening as well. But there comes a service and there comes a time where you say, I'm tired of status quo. In other words, I'm tired of just good church. I want something different. I want something more. I'll never forget, I was sitting, I think the third pew is where I was sitting. Might have been the second one. I don't remember the sermon Brother Briggs preached. Keith had just been born. I wasn't in the ministry. I, in fact, if you would have asked me, was I called to preach? I'd have said, are you out of your mind? Looking back, I'm, I was always called. Looking back, I, I can see where God's hand was on my life all, all along. But I was sitting... And something began to turn over inside of me. And it wasn't a shout and swinging from the chandelier service, but it was a deep service, and it was a deep move of God. And Brother Briggs had preached his heart. 
we went home after service and I just I couldn't get comfortable so I picked up the telephone I called Uncle Leland and I said I'm coming I need to talk to you I'm coming back up and I said if you don't mind would you meet me outside because I want to talk to you by myself he said yeah I drove a little two-tone green van those of you who remember those days I drove up at his house they lived in the house next door he saw me coming in the driveway and here he comes I think he got up in the van with me and I told him I said something's happening to me something's changing I said I feel that God's calling me on a fast and I said I've I've never fasted really a whole day in my whole life. To me, if you get up in the morning and you don't eat breakfast and you don't eat lunch, by 3 o'clock you're good. By 3 o'clock you can eat. That was, my, that was my philosophy. I still obey that philosophy from time to time. I said, something is happening. And I looked at him and I said, I'm committing to you. I don't know how long I will go. But I want you to pray. And I said, I don't want you to tell nobody. I want you to pray that God give me strength. I won't go more than seven days, but I don't even know if I can go that long because I don't know, I've never really gone a whole day. He said, I will. And I did. That fourth day, it was just like somebody, somebody took a big old fork and just rammed it right there in my guts and just rolled. You know how you do spaghetti. <laughs> Only thing, my spaghetti's never cried and screamed at me. I could have cried and screamed. Oh, it hurt. I never felt it. I thought then, oh, I'm going to have to give it up. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. Oh, God, you're going to have to help me. And all of a sudden... East. I was on my way to work. I was working for Ezekiel at that time in Alexandria. But we roll into Sunday night. Sister Peggy remembers this, I'm sure. She was the choir director. And right across here, these banister rails that you see that are on the edges, they also continued across here at that time. And me and Brother Arnold were standing right here. I think I was on this side. Brother Arnold was right here. And we, when we got here, Sister Peggy told us, she said, these are the choir songs we're doing. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so weak, I don't think I can sing. And she didn't have one song picked that I did the verses to. And I was just, oh, I mean, Brother Arnold can sing loud enough for both of us. And I'll just kind of just, I'll just get through this. Well, this first song went over and it went well. I don't remember who sung it. But whenever we finish, Sister Peggy looks at me and says, I love to praise him. It was one of them songs where I just had to rip it with my guts. One of these days we'll sing it for you. 
what y'all gonna, but y'all gonna have to shout if we do. I promise. I don't even care if it's motivated by God or not. You better shout. We do it. But I started singing. But Arnold didn't know what was going on with me. All I know is that I didn't hold the microphone in my hand. I, I did what Lana does. I held on to that stand. And she does that because she gets dizzy up here. If you wonder why she does that, she has a reason. And, uh, and I totally understand that. I was just weak. I was holding on that, and she says, the course again. And the course again. And the course again. And I'm thinking, if you do course one more time, I'm going to make a scene because I am going to pass smooth out. Course again. Jesus, you're going to have to help me. Guys, it was like warm oil that settled in top of my I still remember it. It went over my entire body. It was like I had never missed a meal in my life. I was fully energized. I took the mic off of the stand. I come out and I across this platform, and somewhere in there I stopped the music and preached my first sermon. I didn't I didn't call it a sermon. I didn't think it was a sermon, but I ministered. I ministered with everything that was in me, and then when Uncle Leland we, we didn't get no further in the service. That's as far as service got that night. And Uncle Leland stepped up to close everything and he said, Let me tell you what happened. I wished he hadn't, but he did. Don't know about me. Y'all, that's where I think I first began to acknowledge my call to the ministry. But it ain't going to happen until you make up your mind. Things change. I've got to change. Because if you're dealing with the world and you're dealing with the problems of the world, thank God for Sunday. Get excited about Sunday. Oh, oh yes, we had a wonderful service. But if you walk out of there doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same thing you've got. By the time we get to next Sunday, you're going to be needing another touch. Got to make up your mind. So somewhere, somewhere in a service like right now, you've got to begin to say, I'm changing some things. I'm giving this up. I'm doing this. I'm, you know, God... And this is not something you got to come to me and tell me. No, this is between you and God. This is just between you and God. I've got to change. God spoke through Jeremiah and said, And ye shall seek me and find me. You hear that? You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Now the Lord is waiting. Church, he's waiting on our response right now. Why don't you just stand with me? The Lord is waiting on our response. Are you excited about revival that is happening around us and in our world? Are you? I mean, really? really I, I need an answer. Are, are you excited about yes. that? Okay. Do you want this to continue? Yes. Man. 
do you do you want to see continue to see signs and miracles as we saw last Sunday? Do you want to continue to see that happening? Are you are you hungry for that? Do you really want that to I mean are you ready to cry out for that? Then the Lord said we would find him when we do. And so the rest of this belongs to you. If you're ready for this to continue and you really want more than you've ever had before, it's time to move out of your pews and it's time to, it's time to move in around the altars. And I'm not talking about you got to kneel and squall, but throw your hands in the air and begin to cry out to him, I'm ready for change. I'm ready for revival. I'm ready to celebrate you, Lord. Why don't we give him one more hand of praise? Celebrate him as long as you like today. God bless you.